The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents of Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm a father of twin first graders. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and I'm a CPA. And I currently have a very sore throat. I was going to say, and you're currently uh, singing backup for for Barry White. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) 
And how do you follow that up? But I'm Eric Hall, endurance <laughs> athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, father of two teenagers and a husband to a beautiful wife. Awesome. Very good. Glad y'all are here. Michelle, let's go around the horn. What you been up to besides getting horse? <laughs> um, not much. Uh, can't say I've done much running. <laughs> I was going to say, so So we talked about you having finished your 50K. Have you gone back to running yet? Do you have desire to go back to running yet? I have no desire to go back to running. <laughs> um, I, I went into it with a sort of just like a low humming pain in my uh, kind of my psoas area. So I really wanted to just kind of take a week or two and get that work done. So been to like massage guy twice and <clears throat> chiropractor once. I feel pretty good now. Um, hopeful to maybe go back to running sometime soon with no pain every step, but that wasn't the problem in the 50K. It's just seemed like a good time to try to really get rid of it. Um, but I was thinking about maybe going running Sunday. Today's Wednesday. So, <laughs> so Michelle, I mean, I, I, I feel compelled to remind you that you told me that in only two weeks from now, you and I are going to do the Yeti Challenge together, which involves 30 miles of running over the course of about 20 to 24 hours. I mean, are we still doing that? <laughs> so... My understanding of myself is typically if I want a two week break, you can't make me go back even a day earlier than that. Even if you fill my schedule like you have um, <laughs> <laughs> ever since like the day after the race and Monday's run, I think had pickups in it. I mean, I don't know, like looks good, George, but <laughs> I'm hoping to run Sunday. <laughs> So the reason why I'm laughing, uh, there's a variety of reasons, but but the reason why I'm laughing rather than being upset about it is that I am 100% the same way. Um, and, and when I've had coaches in the past and I've had a big major event and, and they would always put on my schedule the week or the two weeks afterwards, what physiologically was the best thing for me to be doing for my recovery. Now, I've said many times on this podcast, there's lots of aspects of recovery. There's physiological, there's, there's uh, psychological, there's financial, there's social, there's emotional, there's all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and I will never begrudge you, Michelle, or anybody else for that matter, for doing what you need to do in order to recover. Because Lord knows, as an athlete, when my coaches have given me stuff in those first two weeks after a major event, those have been red blocks on training peaks. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I did two of my 35 minute walks the first few days, but um, I think I was pretty mentally burned out also. So the combination of that and just uh, the little bit of pain that I was running through. Mm -hmm. No, I have no desire to run yet. <laughs> <laughs> but Sunday though, we're marking the calendar. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I host a running podcast, I should probably go running. <laughs> Maybe I feel so. I still feel like you've been following the sport. You still have some inside information you're going to be sharing with us in a little while. So, so we'll look forward to that. Great. Um, yeah. Eric, what you been up to, man? So first off, I've been reeling from the loss of Peyton's wild and wacky 10 by yeah. 5k. Yeah. 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 Totally understand, you know, Noah, um, being forced, not <laughs> being forced to cancel. I know he wasn't happy about it. And I understand his reasoning of not wanting to cut back the numbers and that, you know, that stuff happens. Well, let's, let's, let's actually fill in everybody in on what you're talking about because, because you and I and, and Michelle and, and all of our Blue Ridge Relay teammates and stuff have texted about a lot and we're in on it, but, but kind of back us up and just, just tell us what you're talking about. Sure. So uh, actually as 
sort of my introduction into ultra racing and uh, as opposed well in addition to the blue ridge relay mm -hmm. uh, introduction to ultra racing was the Peyton's wild and wacky 10 by 5k mm -hmm. charleston um mm -hmm. south carolina a good friend of ours invited us down to run that it's uh you know it's it's what its name implies it's 10 5k races one hour on the hour every hour for 10 hours mm -hmm. total up your time and you know that that's your that's your performance Mm -hmm. But I'll just say it was probably the most enjoyable race I've ever been to. Mm. Lots of downtime. You know, if, if you run a 20 minute 5k in your hour, you get 40 minutes to, you know, cool down, stretch, and then hang out eat with right, your eat rice crispy treats, which is what eat, I spent a lot of time eat doing. Rice crispy <laughs> treats. Yep. Um, that first year we ran it, they had a ton of food. Um, really nice people. Noah's a phenomenal, excuse me, a phenomenal race director. Uh, Grace, uh, it was her first. Uh, ultra running experience and we just had a lot of fun that's mm -hmm. uh, you know really and we raked up all the awards mm -hmm. um, you i and our the rest of our friends we took took many of the awards home and so did grace so and the, and, and the awards were cool because okay so the the race itself peyton's wild and wacky it's it's named after the race director's son who unfortunately died in childhood um and so so a lot of the race is is memorializing him um, and, and the trophies or the, the prizes for people who, who win age group or overall awards are boxes of Legos. <laughs> really? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're not just boxes of Legos. Like the whole thing is, is centered around Peyton, the, the hats, he gives away uh, book of hats and mm -hmm. they uh, are designed in, um, uh, based on artwork that Peyton did. Yeah. Um, the, the award, I think he he was a big fan of the avengers and that first year the mm. uh, the real awards like the really nice ones were actually kind of based on an avenger type um grace got like this avenger metal thing really mm. cool but the legos yep that's part of the the giveaways and mm -hmm. part of the awards mm -hmm. um so so yeah it was it's, it's a really special race and but you know last year he still pulled it off it's in march and last year he pulled it off and we had a great time. He was, you know, was, he had controls. We hadn't really gotten to the state we're at now, Yeah. but he did have some controls in place. And I think uh, the race went really well, but this year he was forced to cancel it. Uh, right. The venue closed it down on him. Right. So, so, you know, it's a, it's kind of a hit. Uh, Grace and I, her, her training plan was all based around um, that. That was, that was a big piece of her training plan. It's that mm -hmm. and then a 50 mile or leading up to a hundred mile or this summer. Mm -hmm. So, so we're, you know, we're going to figure out how to fill that in. Right. It won't be the same. Um, so we're all kind of missing that, you know, it was good. You were going to come back this year. I was, I was looking forward uh, to you were going to race that 12 year old that <laughs> did nominally last year. Uh, I was, I, I wasn't there last year. I was there two years ago. So, so, and, and, and finished second place behind a two twenty five marathoner, unfortunately, but uh, right. But but so, was happy with but was very happy with how I ran and then went out and, and uh, a month and a half later PR'd for the marathon. Um, yeah. So so I was I was kind of hoping that something similar was going to happen here that I was going to get to do Peyton's and then go out and run a good marathon a couple months later. But that's not going to quite happen. So. But, yeah. So um, that would be the, the I'd say the the downer mm -hmm. uh, recently at least since the last podcast. But I say the mm -hmm. upper is you know speaking of Grace again she got accepted to Georgia Tech. Right on. Really exciting. Uh, she got on the phone immediately and called my parents who lived down right uh, around the corner from you, actually, George, mm -hmm. uh, down in Marietta, Georgia. And um, because she's just excited to have family near her if she chooses to go to Georgia Tech. So, so yeah, it's a, 
that's what's going on. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. It's, uh, it's good for her to have a bona fide option. I know she hasn't decided that she's going to go there necessarily yet, but, um, but if, if she does decide to go there, it would not be a mistake, you know? So, so she, she has, she has a good option in front of her. So that's, that's exciting. She's going to be in the catbird seat here soon. She's got, she's going to have lots of options. So, um, but I, I like that option obviously for for many reasons, (laughs) just a little, just, just, you know, um, but no, I, she's, um, She's not just a, uh, a great uh, athlete. She's also a great student, great artist. So I think the Georgia Tech would uh, benefit from her too. So yeah, it'd be awesome. Cool, cool, great. I, um, she's going to major in physics, right? Isn't that what she wants to study? If she goes to Georgia Tech physics, uh, her majors are based on the schools that accept okay. her because she looks at the specific programs and she... It's great. I should say that the major she plans to begin her college career at... <laughs> Yeah, is based on the colleges that she's right. she's looking at. So, you know, right. it's everything from physics to uh, marine biology. You know, really, so, okay. yeah, she has lots and lots of uh, areas that she'd like to pursue. And so that'll probably end up being part of her decision process as well. Is that as she gets closer to it and starts thinking a little bit more in bona fide terms about what she wants to study. Uh, yes. So, very cool. Good for her. Well. Hooray for Grace. We're proud of Grace for, for all the good work she's doing and all the, the bright future that she has in front of her. Uh, quick story. So when I was at Georgia Tech, I dropped one class the whole time I was at Georgia Tech. Um, and it was in Earth and Atmospheric Science courses. It was the intro course, like Earth and Atmospheric Science 101 or something like that. And, and um, I went in on the first day and sat down and the professor says, you know, there's a lot of physics in this course, but all of you have had physics for, and so I don't really need to review any of that. And I was like, I haven't had physics <laughs> because, because I hadn't had it in high school because it was sort of this fringe thing in the, uh, in the late eighties and early nineties, when you and I were in high school, um, that you really only took if you were on a math and science track, which I wasn't necessarily. Um, and then, uh, I went to college and opted to take biology rather than take physics. Um, and so, so, uh, kind of went through the first four or five weeks of the class and everything was going well until we got to our very first homework problem set and he gave it to us and it was all physics and i tried to do it a little bit and i was like i think i'm gonna drop this course (laughs) i could have used grace's help then (laughs) you know george i I did get a but our degree pass were a little different um, I probably <laughs> dropped 10 courses, <laughs> but I'll tell Is you that why it took you eight years to graduate. five and a half <laughs> best five and a half years of my pre pre thirties. I would say this, I, I will remember this day for the rest of my life. I actually went to the guidance. I had a, you know, a counselor and I, I went and sat down with her. Cause I was, I, I felt like I had too many classes and she, Joan craft. I remember her name. She looked at my schedule and she said, I said, I think I have too many hours. And she looks at my schedule and she says, you're going to drop this class. I said, no, no, no. I, I have to take that class. And she goes, no, no, no. You're dropping this class. And she starts pulling the paperwork out of her desk for me to drop the class. And I said, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I have to take that class. She goes, you don't have to take it this semester or quarter. We were on the quarter system. Right. And I said, I said, well, Joan, what is the issue here? And she goes, she goes, you know what his nickname is, right? I said, I said, yeah, Dr. Death. She goes, you know how he got that nickname? I said, no. And she said, well, he goes on and off probation every other quarter. So he fails half his class one quarter and then he passes them the next quarter. And then he Man. fails half his class the following quarter. And she goes, she looks me right in the eye. She goes, which quarter do you think you're on? 
give me the paperwork. <laughs> looks, looks like I'm dropping this class. <laughs> Dr. Desai, Dr. Dell. Yep. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. As we think about what's going on in their futures and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It was a blow this week that, uh, that, that run for P Peyton's wild and wacky 10 by 5k is not going to be happening. That's a cool event. And I, I'm, I'm surprised there's not more than more 10 by 5k's out there. I guess it's just so logistically difficult to do, but it's such an interesting event and such a neat event to do. And you have these relay teams of relays of two and relays of five and all that. But um, but then coming almost immediately on the heels of that, I found out this morning, as a matter of fact, that the Eugene Marathon, which I was signed up for on April 25th, is converting to a virtual race, um, which is really not a surprise. Um, I, I was telling my wife today that I had pretty much already given myself over in my head to the fact that it was not going to happen. Um, I had already shifted my training and started running more since it's only about 12 weeks away. Um, but I'm, in my head, I was like, I really don't feel like we're going to make that trip. Um, she as well. She's the owner of her travel agency. She tends to book travel like way ahead of time, all that sort of thing. She hadn't even booked flights yet. And so she was pretty confident that it was going to be canceled too. So I, of course, wrote them an email and said, said, I appreciate the fact that you canceled. Is there going to be a window for this virtual race or do we have to do it on a race weekend? And they said, there's actually going to be a window and you can do it anytime starting at race weekend through the following week and into the next weekend. And that works out well for me because my backup plan is the World Marathon Majors Global Marathon, which is a virtual marathon. Um, and interestingly enough, they're offering all of these places to the Abbott World Marathon Major Age Group Championships in 2022 through this virtual marathon. Um, and I could also potentially qualify for it at Berlin, but I'm not confident that Berlin is gonna happen. Um, and so this might be a good chance for me to potentially qualify for the World Marathon Major Age Group Championship uh, in 2022. And we don't know the details of where or when that's going to be just yet. Um, but uh, but so that's what I'm pivoting to. So come so can you May run... 1st or 2nd. So so yes. And so so I can. That's the reason why I asked the question to, to Eugene. I can double dip with the virtual marathons. That's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. And so so um, I am going to run one 26.2 mile hard run. And it will count as both my Eugene Marathon and my World Marathon Majors Virtual Marathon. Because because World Marathon Majors Virtual Marathon, the Global Marathon, they said you could actually run an organized event and it could count as your world is as, as your virtual marathon for them. So it, it you know, anytime you did it. Um, and so so yeah, I haven't quite figured out where it's gonna be yet. I've already reached out to a couple of people that I know that are fit that I'm gonna try and get to run parts of it with me because you know, going out and running a hard 26.2 mile run entirely solo seems to be a tall order, um, but uh, but we'll see. Um, by all means, most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners, if you want to uh, to cheer for me or pace me or or otherwise give me support on that day, I would definitely appreciate it. So, May first and second, circular calendar. <laughs> um, races later on this month. Uh, here at the end of February, which is about three weeks away here, is the uh, Atlanta Track Club Atlanta Marathon. Um, and they moved the date of that back a couple of weeks. And so it's at the end of February now so that it would it would correspond with the Atlanta Marathon or the Olympic Marathon trials that were here in Atlanta a year ago. And they've changed up the format and they've made it safer and more COVID friendly. Michelle. Tell us what Atlanta Track Club is doing and what the big announcement was related to it that came out over the course of the past couple of days. 
Well, the Atlanta Track Club is running uh, 5K half marathon marathon uh, within the grounds of the Atlanta Motor Speedway. So um, it's going to take place, is it early March? And it's fe February 27th to 28th. Yeah, February 27th and 28th. So um, I think registration is still open. And I did hear this week, I don't know if it was a major announcement, but I heard it on the Run Your Mouth podcast, which is a great name for a podcast, by the way, <laughs> um, that Molly Seidel's going to come to Atlanta and try to run a fast half marathon. So it'll be a year to the, pretty much a year or a weekend to the date um, of when she qualified for the Olympic team in the marathon trials here. So she seemed pretty excited to come back and, uh, She's one of the many distance runners that we've seen make a sponsorship move this year. Uh, she signed with Puma. So um, she ran her first race in a pair of their shoes last weekend. And it's just kind of fun to see her continue to, I mean, she's super off the cuff for a professional distance runner, but she, you know, had the ability to kind of design her own contract and uh, went to Puma and gets to keep her coach and, um, it's kind of a wear tester for a big slew of shoes that are coming back in as they make a move uh, back into the distance running world this year. So is um, it back into the distance running move? Because I don't ever remember Puma being a player in the distance running game. <laughs> I mean, if you look at their shoes, I mean, I think about Usain Bolt, which who is a Puma. That's athlete. not distance. Yeah, but but his distances are far shorter than ours. Um, right. And so. I think it's been a solid seven years since they put out a shoe where like a lot of the shoe bloggers reviewed it for distance running. Like if you go believe in the run, I mean, I think they literally have 2014 and then they have the new shoe review that just came out this week for one of Puma's new shoes, which, uh, which Molly wore and which I guess we'll see. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about Amy Craig, who uh, also Olympian, two-time Olympian, 10,000 meters marathon. Uh, she and her husband relocating uh, from Portland, Oregon, Bowerman Track Club to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So Puma's also starting an elite distance group there. Um, they signed three of the top NCAA runners to kind of go and live and train there. And part of Molly's contract was she didn't have to go to a group. She didn't have to be coached by a Puma coach. Um, they also took Sandy Morris, who's a uh, world and American champion in pole vault. And I think we're just going to continue to see uh, kind of a litany of people leave various sponsors and they call and go to Puma. Puma fam, hashtag Puma fam. So hashtag um, Puma fam. That's a thing. It is now, George. Where have you been for the last two weeks? I, well, you know, I, I rely on you to keep me up to date on these things. Uh, oh, yeah. Michelle. Okay. So important question. Have you bought yourself any Puma shoes yet? Well, I've been on the website a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think Eric is supposed to buy them. Eric's the tech guy. Eric, have you bought any Puma shoes yet? <laughs> you know, I well, raced in Pumas. I had a pair of Pumas in high school, but that was quite a while ago. But I think that's the last <laughs> pair of Pumas I've owned. I think the last so, pair of Pumas I owned is when I was I was in middle school and they were a pair of soccer cleats. But Well, if you want to get excited about a pair of Pumas, the DV8 Nitro, which is their shoe that's... <laughs> coming out in a few weeks. Also the Nitro is named after the American Gladiator. So I thought that was pretty cool. Wait, the American um, Gladiator, like that that thing where they fight with Q-tips and stuff? Yeah, there was, yeah. Q-tips. <laughs> those, those, those big Q-tips. Puget mean. sticks. They're, they're, wait, those things have a name? What are they called? Puget pugil, sticks? Pugil sticks, something like that. Oh, yeah, they have a know. name. 
Okay. And so, but, okay. So why did Puma, this is so much information I'm getting hit with at one time. Why, why did Puma name a shoe after an American gladiator who fights with Puget sticks? I actually Pugil think sticks, that it's you. really named after, uh, they call it like a nitrogen infused foam. Skechers hyperburst, it's the same foam essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so this shoe's got a carbon composite plate. It's got the nitro, the nitrogen infused foam. Um, it's been reviewed as kind of a do everything shoe. So it okay. um, doesn't offer much stability, but it's gonna be $160 and it's their first shoe that's gonna hit the market next month. Uh, I think right. March 6th. So, so are they gonna, or you say do everything shoe, that means training and racing you mean? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. been reviewed as, you know, like a daily trainer, a speed shoe, a long run shoe. Um, obviously, it's got carbon in it, um, but it's not being <laughs> talented. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, I feel the same no, way. It's, it's, it's like, a no swimming shoe. It's a walk around <laughs> shoe. You play tennis in it. I mean, listen, this oh, shoe no, does wear the shoe. What? So bow wear this shoe so, exactly so you can auto race you can downhill ski yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i just i mean what if it's an amazing shoe i'm sure it's and an amazing it has a shoe, carbon but, plate but, but I, don't, I don't feel like the, it has a carbon okay. composite plate eric don't I could, I could be i could be totally wrong about this and 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 the hashtag puma fan might might prove me fam, wrong f-a-m i said fam I, I said okay. fam i said fam okay. um but uh but I don't think there is such a thing as an do-it-all shoe, like a shoe that's good for both tempo runs and like road miles and and long runs on the trail. I, well, I you're going like to have to take it up with the Believe in the Run guys because they said, <laughs> quote, it's a use for everything shoe. All right. And so far, they're one of the few people that have gotten to wear test it. So. All right. All right. That good usually means I'm going to use it to cut my lawn. <laughs> segue on that talk about carbon plates you know last week we talked about the north face flight vective that mm -hmm. has that carbon plate so i was i was really i was really kind of bothered by how that how that hit me that off-road carbon shoes so i went back and i i did some additional research and there's cool. a there's a lot of difference between that carbon plate and the plate that you see in a typical running shoe um or it's, i should say a road running shoe mm -hmm. the, the plate like sketcher's plate it's actually like two plates and it's, it's pretty complicated, but it's, it's super, super lightweight. You look at um, the endorphin plate and the, the Nike's plate. And there are these very thin, uh, really tapered at the heel, really focusing on uh, a forefoot landing and sort of like that spring you're going to get between your forefoot and your heel. Um, when you look at the North face plate, it's actually really interesting. It has a cupped heel. Mm -hmm. it's really substantial up front and actually wraps around the front of the foot too the and plate itself is curved the plate itself. Like it's curved in a way that wraps around well, the foot so at the heel it almost looks like it's part of the heel counter it, it actually comes up and if you look at the picture of the shoe on the heel you can see the carbon on the outside of the shoe i thought that was just a you know a, a, decoration a trim. but mm -hmm. no it's 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 the carbon plate and then on the front of the shoe it has uh four tongues I'd say like two on the two on either side that come mm. up and actually cradle the foot. And, you know, one of the things they say that this does is it's, it's a, it's a stability thing, you know, for, for off-road running. And I can see how huh. if now we're utilizing this for a, a different purpose, 
you know, we're basically just taking advantage of this lightweight, strong, springy material that you can make in all these different shapes. They might have something. It's an interesting point. Yeah. So it's almost like the effect of the carbon would be to, to smooth out the run almost. Um, smooth out the that, run or just, it's not the same purpose as right, a road shoe, right, right. which we, we, we completely debunked on our last talk. We said that just doesn't really apply. I think they've, they've come up with something different here, mm -hmm. a new way to use the carbon. That the might apply. That might apply. But yeah. why carbon? Like why not some other type of plate in an off-road shoe? It because, won't last as long, yeah. and it's and if you want to make it last as long, it's too heavy. Yeah, because it's because it because it, it's strong and it's light and it and it lasts for the same reason that they 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 make bikes out of carbon fiber, um, because it's 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 a material that that is lightweight and very strong. Um, right. So yeah, I think it's I, I do think it's interesting the you know, and 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 what you're saying underscores the point that carbon plated shoes are not all the same in the sense that, okay, so they have carbon plates in them, but the philosophy behind the carbon or the way that the carbon is used can vary from, from shoe to shoe. It's, it's the shape of the plate inside the Nike Vaporfly is not the same as, like you said, the shape of the plate inside um, the Adidas Addy Zero Pro, whatever their long name for their, their carbon plated shoe is. It's not the same as it is for the Skechers Elite. And, and yeah, I guess it makes sense. It wouldn't be for the North Face as well. So kudos, Eric, for going back and taking a deeper look at that after we, uh, after we kind of blew it off last week. <laughs> so that's what we expect, of course, from our tech guy. So, so, so I do appreciate well, that. Well, <laughs> I went and tried to figure out what the next brand to come out with a carbon plated trail shoe was. And I believe it's Hoka. So... You believe what? See, Hoka oh, released yeah. their carbon-plated trail shoe next month. So. I'm still so looking back over the 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 carbon plate history of the last four years. It still blows me away a little bit that the first response to the Vaporfly was Took from Hoka. Took so long. Well, no, it's from Hoka. So the, right. the the second company to release a carbon-plated shoe was from Hoka One One which. But it took them three I years. Would, so I I was just surprised by that. I was very surprised by that. Um, so, so I would not be surprised that the first trail shoe, um, therefore, was was from Poco Onone. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, speaking of like tech and and all that sort of thing, so you and I, Eric, were we're having a conversation today with Lee Ragsdale, who's been on this podcast before, um, and we were talking about how he's been spending a lot of time on Zwift and all that sort of thing. And I know that there was a some 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 comments you wanted to make about kind of training on Zwift versus training on Sufferfest versus training on trainer road with structured workouts and all that sort of thing. Kind of recap that for us. Yeah. So you have instilled in some of us that are friends with you that, you know, this <laughs> cycling, cycling on a trainer can, can actually have some, some good, some benefits. Let's just call it some benefits. And we, <laughs> and we have enjoyed it. Um, I would say, you know, we, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're doing weekly rides together on Zwift and, and we have shifted away from the, and this is where it came from. This, this all started with the Sufferfest mm -hmm. and the tour of Sufferlandria mm -hmm. uh, that, that, um, you know, Lee and I really got into that. And then mm -hmm. we started doing some rides with you and we did that. Is it a week or is it two weeks? Something insane. It's, 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 it's nine days. Nine days. This year, it's going to be seven days instead. They've shortened it to okay. seven days for this So the, year. the tour of Sufferlandria, but there's a, there's a really 
big difference between Sufferfest and Zwift. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the conversation that we had about Lee with Lee today sort of uh, brought home how you utilize these tools differently. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both technology, but how you utilize them or how you can utilize them or what you get out of them is different. So the thing about the Sufferfest is they're all, they look like you're riding, you're watching a video of what you're doing, but it really is a structured workout. Mm-hmm. The Sufferfest only has a uh, it only has a ser- series of like twenty minute, forty minute, sixty minute, and one hundred twenty minute rides where there's no structure to it. They just say go ride. Mm-hmm. The rest of them have a purpose. It's either um, endurance or power, you know, sprinting or you know, it, it has a purpose and it's a structured workout. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever looked at George's uh, Strava feed and you see some of the workouts he's doing and he you know, he posts the picture of trainer road where it's, you know, you have so many minutes at this power, so many minutes at this power. That's essentially what you get in the Sufferfest. It just has a video to go along with it and a story to go along with it to keep you from getting bored mm-hmm. and really bad music. Yes. And, and the worst music you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. <laughs> but Sufferfest has you perform a test. They call it the full frontal and they do an analysis on you and you get this 40 P analysis and it, it, and it breaks your, your performance down over this this test into four areas. It's your your five second power, your one minute power, your five minute power, and your twenty minute power, which is essentially your FTP. So we do this every once in a while, and when you do it, the Sufferfest will adjust each ride you do, each of those structure rides to your full frontal uh, performance. So if I'm riding with George and Lee, the hard sections are geared specifically to me mm-hmm. and, and the, 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 the uh, easy or the recovery sections are geared specifically to me. Uh, we're doing the same workout. It takes the same amount of time, but the Sufferfest gears it towards the rider based on their full frontal test. Mm-hmm. Let's juxtapose that with Zwift. Uh, Zwift simply takes your rides and derives a, uh, an FTP for you. Really? That's, that's really what it derives. Isn't that right, George? It's just, you just it get is, an FTP. Yeah. Yeah. It is basically, it, it basically looks at, at how long you're able to maintain a good power. And it's like, wow, that's the most you've ever maintained that high of a power for 45 minutes. That's your new FTP. That's your new FTP. <laughs> um, and, and it does have structured workouts, but I would venture to guess that very few people actually use those Um, because Zwift is more of the community, or at least that's how I've been utilizing it and and our friends have been utilizing it. It's more Mm -hmm. about community, riding with your friends. So you really just go out and ride. And it's a lot like just riding your bike out on the road. So back to our story and back to Lee. So Lee calls me up this morning and he says, hey, I did a full frontal on on Sufferfest. And I thought to myself, okay, how'd you do? You know, and he says, oh, well, my one second power is over a kilowatt now. Sorry. My five second power. Five second power is over a kilowatt. My one, one second is half a kilowatt. <laughs> and I said. What a nerdy way of saying it. <laughs> well, Lee and I work for power companies. So he's, okay, a thousand watts and 500 watts. There you go. Which, which is an improvement. It's, mm-hmm. it's an improvement because he was at 800 watts and he was at 467 watts. So mm-hmm. both of those improved. But his five minute and his 20 minute didn't improve. I won't say that they went down because there's some extenuating circumstances of what he did leading up to this, but they didn't go up. They really stayed the same. And Lee immediately follows that with, and I think I know why, because when you're riding Zwift, 
every once in a while, it throws a sprint at you. Mm-hmm. It, there's, a, there's these sections, there's a sprints and you know, it's coming. And then you get, and there's this, like that guy's going to do, you know, and they, and then they give you the, the list of who's got the fastest time for the mm-hmm. past, you know, I don't know how long that they keep those things up. So that happens every once in a while. And Lee, uh, his characterization in Sufferfest is an attacker. That's what he does. These, these power rides, he has the ability to really throw down the power uh, for a short period of time. But what it emphasized to me was, and George, your wording was the best. Um, I just, George put this into words. He said, um, left to their own devices, 99% of athletes will do what they like and or what they're best at. And and those two things are usually the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas Lee drifted away from actually riding on the Sufferfest and doing these structured workouts that were geared towards what he's good at and then making him better at what he needs to be good at. He went to Zwift and he just did what he likes and what he's good at. Mm -hmm. And it played out in his full frontal test. Mm -hmm. I would venture to guess that if he hadn't been a little tired coming into that full frontal test, his five second, one second would have been, sorry, I, I keep saying that incorrectly is five second and one minute would have been much, much higher. Mm -hmm. And he probably still would have been about the same for his FTP and his five minute. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, it's a reminder to people who want to get better and who have things that they're really good at. Maybe you could balance yourself a little better by having a more structured plan, whether you have a coach that's balancing you with, you know, um, a structured workout, or you're using a tool like Sufferfest, which is as funny as it is, and then just the naming and the idea and the bad music, the culture, um, the culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is a it is the type of environment that can make you a better, well-rounded athlete, and you can mm-hmm. focus on the things you're not as strong at. So mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a a lesson to be learned here, because Lee is definitely someone who wants to get better, and he doesn't want to just improve his the qualities he's good at he wants to improve as an all-around runner rider so i think uh it was an eye-opener to him yeah yeah um no and 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 i think again like i said in that text chain that you just read from i think most of us left our own devices that's what we'll do i have even coached athletes in the past who i would see what they would be comfortable doing and i would give them things that i know that they would benefit from they're outside of their comfort zone and they wouldn't do them and they instead would opt to do something that that they're comfortable doing that they would have done on their own. And they're like, oh, well, I didn't do the the 15 by one minute repeats that you gave me, George. But instead, I went out and I did uh, three by 20 minutes um, at at 90 percent. And it's like, my I'm kind like, of people. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, and they're like, so that was pretty good, too. And I'm like, no. You completely addressed a totally different physiological system. You, you, you turn the workout from what it was supposed to be into something completely different. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I have found that, that hiring a coach is usually pretty good for making you do the stuff that you don't want to do um, and that you shy away from doing. Um, and I think, again, that's a really natural thing to do. But even when, when some people hire coaches, they still do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, a management <laughs> philosophy. Michelle is notably quiet. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a management philosophy of 
if you're if you're strong in these areas, you should really just try to continue to work in those areas and, and make yourself a better person in those areas. And don't mm -hmm. worry about the weak areas. Like focus mm -hmm. on your strengths. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in the in the in the endeavor of becoming a better athlete, especially as an endurance athlete, where you really do need all of those pieces, mm -hmm. um, I think working on your weaknesses will actually help you be better at your strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and I'll use the example. Totally, of, totally agree. But yeah. maybe there's a way to give an athlete working on their weaknesses where it's not so obvious. That you okay, want them to work Michelle, on. we're not going to get into this going back and forth with how George coaches you tonight. There, there, we can do that. That's not there, what there, I'm there is, and I do that, and you don't even realize it because I'm so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> No, but to, to put it, you know, if, if you've got an athlete that's really fast, they've got really great turnover. You can only do so much of that mm -hmm. before it starts to hurt you. But if you spend time on those, uh, those long runs and, you know, getting to the point where they can dig deep into that, like dig themselves deep into a hole, then when you go do those uh, faster workouts, you can do more of them and you can do them more intensely. And I, I think that, that's something to always consider. As I get better in one area, it's going to even make me even better in the area I'm already strong in. Whereas if I'm not working in this area that I'm not so strong in, I might actually plateau earlier. Yeah. And I'm not saying ignore your strengths, particularly when it comes to choosing your races, you should choose a race that plays your strengths. You know, you, you've often heard like train your weaknesses and race your strengths. Um, and I think that's accurate. So, so, I'm not saying ignore your strengths, by all means, train your strengths as well. But if you're looking for the low hanging fruit in, in your training program, if you train your weaknesses, that's the low hanging fruit. The places where you're weakest are the places where you have the, the, the biggest room for improvement. Um, and so, so yeah, I have so many people that, that come to me that are doing an Ironman or doing a marathon or something else like that. I'm like, oh, okay, let's do some hill repeats. Uh, you know, like one minute hard and they're like, oh, I really don't want to do that. And I'm like, that's the reason why we're doing it. <laughs> I haven't done these since I was in high school. I know. <laughs> that's why we're doing it. <laughs> so very good. Very good. Speaking of different types of training, um, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at a lot of different research here over the course of, of the last week. And, and I happened upon a piece of research um, that was um, by a group of scientists at the University of Guelph, um, which is in Ontario. Um, and they published it in a journal called Medicine and Health in Sports and Exercise. Um, and the name of the article was Endurance and Sprint Training Improved Glycemia and VO2 Peak, but Only Frequent Endurance Benefits Blood Pressure and Lipidemia. Um, and that's an extremely long and very descriptive name, but let me, uh, let me break it down for you a little bit. Um, they took 23 participants and they split them into two groups and they put them onto ergonomic bikes. Um, and we've talked before on this podcast a lot about why it is they tend to put people on stationary bikes for endurance tests. Um, but what they wanted to look into is, uh, is high intensity interval training, which is so popular. Um, is that really, um, all that it's cracked up to be. Is it really better than, you know, doing a largely zone two exercise program? Um, and they said that even most high endurance interval training is not the sort of thing you do every single day. You usually do it a little bit less often. And so when they split people in two groups, they had one group do three days a week where they would do four to six times 30 seconds at 170% of their functional threshold power, essentially. Um, and they would take two minutes recovery between. 
Um, and then the other group, they put in, they had them do five days a week and they would just do 30 to 40 minutes pretty easy at only 60% of their FTP. Um, and so, so you had a pretty polarized group here. Um, again, four to six by 30 seconds with two minutes recovery at 170%. I mean, those are those are hard sprints. I don't know that I could do 30 seconds at 170%. Um, and then 30, 30 to 40 minutes at 60%. So a, a fairly easy job there. Um, and then at the end of the period, they, they looked at their VO2 max peaks. They looked at their body composition, their blood pressure, their arterial stiffness, their endothelial function, the glucose and lipid tolerance, and their free living glycemic regulation. Um, and what they found um, was that the endurance work, the zone two work, it decreased diastolic blood pressure, it decreased abdominal fat, and it improved postprandial lipid tolerance. Um, all of those things represent improvements in cardiovascular risk factors that didn't occur following all the high intensity stuff. Now the high intensity stuff actually did increase endothelial function. Um, Arterial stiffness was not altered in either group, it said. Um, and then interestingly, they said that glycemic regulation was improved by uh, the endurance stuff. And it seemed to be improved a little bit uh, based on the, the high intensity stuff, but it was better on exercise days than it was on non-exercise days. And so in other words, if you could do the exercise more often then um, you were going to have better uh, glycemic regulation. And so in the end, ultimately what they found is this idea that, that well, no, high intensity interval training is so much better for you than zone two training. In this one study, at least, they tend to suggest the opposite, um, that at least when it comes to uh, things around your cardiovascular help, uh, health um, and even your VO2 peak, um, that in fact, it's low intensity endurance exercise that does more than high intensity stuff. They also, for what it's worth, said, found that the biggest individual changes uh, took place in some of the people who did the endurance stuff rather than the high intensity stuff. You all surprised by that or not surprised by that? I'm pretty surprised by that because I feel like all the latest research just talks about all the high intensity training stuff and intervals and all of the boutique, you know, fitness studios yeah. that show up. I mean, even yeah. I'm a big fan of Orange Theory. So just all of that short, fast burst. I mean, blast all these places around here. That's all built off of Burn, different types of high intensity. Yeah. Training. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree. I, I mean, agree. I think for peak performance, I don't think it would refute this study, but it seems like you just need a baseline, an amazing aerobic baseline, and then adding in the high intensity stuff. Mm -hmm. seems to me like that would, you know, probably yield a better result than either one or the other. I agree. I agree. Eric, what do you think? I think my watch would disagree. <laughs> so, so Eric, who who spent a little bit of time only <laughs> doing the workouts that his watch would tell him to do, um, why do you say that? Well, if so, for a long time, I was doing, I would say 80, 85% of low intensity, you know, distance running. And I sort of peaked out my max VO2. And then uh, when I started doing the Garmin suggested workouts, it had some pretty intense ones in there. But what I noticed is uh, adding more of those intense workouts to my, my regimen than I would have originally done just blew my max VO2 out of the water. I mean, it just kept, just kept going up and up and up, you know, and until I, until I had that recent injury, I did 
it seemed like the sky was the limit. It just kept going. And the same thing on the bike, you know, when I, when I did the workouts on the bike, cause the Garmin suggested workout comes in two flavors. It gives you a run, run choice or a bike choice. So the days that I rode, I would just go ahead and do the, the bike choice. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty intense also. And, you know, the, the max VO two that I achieved on the bike was almost unreal. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that that's real. That's calculated. It's, you know, on my watch, it's just a number, but I would say that my watch, which is based on, you know, years and years and reams and reams of research and all this stuff. Um, it just disagree with this completely. Mm-hmm. But then you got injured. Yeah, that was different. That had nothing to do with. Oh yeah. That had nothing to do, that had nothing to do with the fact that I was doing intense workouts. I mean, what you think all that pressure I was putting on my bones caused one to have an issue. Yeah, maybe, it had, maybe, it had nothing know. to do with doing a double the day after you ran a hundred K, right? <laughs> Your memory is too good. You are, I am not going to let you follow me on Strava. Anymore. We, we, we record this stuff. She doesn't follow you anyway, remember? Yes, I, that's a good point. She just started, actually. I just started following you. Oh, okay. It just that's doesn't good. provide kudos that's to good. anybody for anything. That's good. Speaking of Strava, that reminds me of something. So, so uh, Strava, I, I should mention, I, I want to say something nice about the company Stride since I spent so much time trashing Stride last week. Uh, I returned my Stride power meter on Friday and I had the refund by Monday. And so <laughs> that's the nice thing you have to say. So, so shout out, Yeah, absolutely. I think that was very nice. Like, like so it takes something three days to get to hell. So, so it does, but I mean, but, it takes three days get, to get through the line in the post office. So, so yeah, I, I was, I was willing to wait in that line and I did, and I mailed it back and I sent the two of y'all a selfie with my, uh, with my receipt <laughs> and, 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 and they got me that, re- that, that back by Monday. But, um, I will say this, I, we're not, uh, me returning that stride power meter because it wrecked my indoor uh, training ecosystem is not uh, the end of our power experiment because I have been still taking power on um, on the Coros Michelle's watch, watch on 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 the, the watch, that, watch that Michelle thinks that she let me borrow but she actually just gave to me. I know, Eric. Um, have you ever let George borrow something for a run? <laughs> and a year and a half later, you never had got it back. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny is that when I no, went there's to... nothing funny. <laughs> When I went to return that stride power meter, another thing that I dropped in the mail at the post office was a towel that I borrowed from a guy in 2012. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> and I, and nine years from now. And, hey, and Michelle, my, has George ever you, told you about the bike he has on his trainer? Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Mind you, the bike that I'm currently riding on my trainer, I borrowed in January of 2013 from my good, from good who? friend, Eric. Um, and, and oh, this Eric. So, so different Eric, but he spells it the same way you do. Um, and, uh, and he had other bikes and then he quit cycling for a while and now he's into gravel riding. And so he just hasn't needed it back. And so I haven't, yeah, I, I, was about to say, I haven't offered it. I have offered it a couple of times and I've offered to buy it from him a few times. He was always like, Oh no, 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 no. You know, you keep using it, but I'm going to get it back from him someday. It's we've actually just passed the eight year mark. <laughs> But anyway, that's not the topic. The point is to say that 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 we are continuing to to take power numbers and look at that and figure out whether that is a good metric. Um, and I still do have two data points as well. I have the Coros watch, and then there's also a an app 
that that um, I can use called RunCline, um, which gets a lot of attention in the Zwift Runners Facebook group, um, in part because the developer is actually in that group and he's super responsive to questions, but in part because it's a pretty apps, it's pretty incredible app. Um, and it basically can translate and take in all of this data and then send that data to Zwift as one uh, as one Bluetooth connection. Um, and and um, it kind of compiles it all together in a very neat way. Um, and so it can also calculate power um, based on the incline that I'm running and the pace that I'm running on the treadmill and the heart rate that it's actually receiving from me and things like that. So, so we'll, we'll have two separate power measurements so that we can not only look and see whether over time power is, is a dependable metric that I can use to judge the quality of my training and the improvement of my fitness, but also um, whether power is something that has an objective parallel um, such that it can ultimately be used to compare runners um, to one another. Um, and so that, that's something we're kind of interested in. And you all will, of course, recall Eric and I said that we're both optimistic about that first thing, but less optimistic about that second one. So I was selected to be a beta tester for Koros. Um, and they just started a, a WhatsApp group. It's super cool. Um, so there's a lot of talk in there about running power. So as soon as I start running again. <laughs> you'll start, you'll start doing Should the power. Have some, well, yeah. I, saw, I saw that you shared our podcast on the Koros Facebook group. Did you get any, uh, any people writing back and saying that they had listened to it and they thought we were insane? No, but I'm not upset about the shameless plug for the podcast. On right, well, I'm, I'm never upset about shameless plugs for the podcast. <laughs> and I imagine that the good folks at Slayer X and Blue Pineapple Travel and ITO Coaching Performance aren't either. Um, so very good. Very good. Um, um, all right. Yeah. But about the book. Let's talk about the book real quick. Um, have either one of you started or completed reading Running to the Edge yet? I'm about 100 pages into it. And I will say that it has taken me a long time to get into it. Um, I, I didn't have that. Did you find that? No, I got right into it. I enjoyed it a lot from the start. I, and I, I finished it. And actually, I then went and read Mev Kofleski's second book, 26 Marathons. And so, so which is a nice companion to it. Yeah, um, so I'm not even really at the point in the book where we're talking about Mev. I mean, we're still kind of <laughs> at Grossmont College. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think they just went to the AAU championships or something. So mm -hmm. it is, I do find it interesting. I can see how it's building, mm -hmm. but um, mm -hmm. I'm feeling more and more inclined to pick it up, but it's definitely taken me a little while longer to get into it. Than That's I okay. So, so remember it's the book of the quarter. We're only doing one per quarter. It's not a book of the month this time. And so, so it won't be until at least about another month or so before, before we're going to actually start trying to reach out to people related to, uh, to the book and bring them on and talk about it on the podcast. So what got you so into it in the beginning? I mean, what, I just, I don't find it because it's not one storyline. It was, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think the stories are well told. Um, I, I, th I think the, the, the characters, if you will, are interesting characters. And I think he tells yeah. the stories well. That is um, true. I would agree with that. And, and, and in fact, dare I say it, he might tell the stories too well. Too well. And, and, and by that, I mean, he might accentuate the storytelling over the factual nature of yeah. what happened. And yeah. so, so I think one of the reasons why it might have been kind of compelling uh, from a storytelling point of view is because he was not entirely telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little fluffy. Uh, so, so, so we'll talk more about that when we actually review it, but some of the things he said in that first half, and then he, he didn't, he didn't go back and recant in the second half. That was actually one of the reasons why I read Mev Kaflesi's books. I was like, is that right? 
And so I actually went and read Meb Kaflesi's book to see if that was right. And, and in fact, there were a couple of things that I, that I doubted that Meb Kaflesi substantiated in his book, but then there was at least one major thing that Futterman asserted that is not at all what Kaflesi talks about in his book. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that when we review it. But, um, but yeah, don't forget folks, Running to the Edge by Matthew Futterman. Um, if you haven't picked it up and started reading it, uh, get it on audiobook or or something else um or or in print and uh, and and enjoy um i i think it's a good book and i definitely think it's worth reading um by the new york times sports reporter um eric have you read it have you finished reading it or are you into it yet or have you started reading it a little I'm, I'm a little behind michelle uh where she is um and i would agree with michelle that i'm having a little bit of trouble getting into it mm-hmm. and it's funny that you'd say that you think the stories are told really well because that's that's my struggle mm. i i i'm i'm having trouble with his writing style i think mm. Mm. and i don't know if it's because of the other types of books i read or just something about the cadence of what he's writing and mm. and maybe maybe my bs meter is causing maybe. me to you know maybe it's getting tripped but it's still an interesting enough topic and like you said I really like the characters mm-hmm. and I want to know more. And that's what I said from the beginning when we talked about this, I want to know more about this story. So mm-hmm. that's, that's keeping me in it. Yeah. It's definitely more about the people and the characters right now than it is about Bob Larson as a coach. Yeah. But yeah. I assume that as we get more towards the middle to the end and kind of maybe it hones in more on Meb and um, you know, that, that storyline will play out. So not as much as you might want it to. Really? So, so, oh, don't so, ruin it for us. So let us, I, I, let us I, 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 I will say that there, there's a few times when you kind of want him to say, okay, this is the physiology or this is the approach. And he does that a couple of times, but for grand total over the course of the book of probably two pages. Um, so he just doesn't talk about it a whole lot. Um, he talks a little bit about the physiology. And then when, when, when Larson teams up with Joe V Hill, um, Dina Castro's Yeah, coach, I'm dying. That's, um, that's what I want to see and him writing about Joe V Hill. I thought was super fascinating. And in fact, I looked up to see whether there was a, there was a book about Joe V Hill or by Joe V Hill. And there is. There um, is. And so, so maybe I'll read that one over the course of the next month as well. But um, it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't go through and say, okay, these are the fundamental tenets of their training philosophy. It never quite really lays those out as cleanly and as mm-hmm. nicely as I would like for him to, as a coach. Um, it just doesn't quite do that. Um, but maybe it does, and maybe I missed it. So maybe y'all read it and be like, oh, I mean, no, I was going right to say, I feel like 99, George, but you know, yeah, but. I feel like you can derive the fundamental tenets of his coaching just from the way the stories were told. Yeah. And how except, it shifts over, over his time and experience in coaching. I agree, except that the way that Futterman portrays it in the first half of the book, I think is incorrect. Um, and so, so, and, and we'll talk more about it later on. I feel like we're talking around it and not actually talking about it. And, and people who haven't actually read the book might be like, oh my God, what are they even saying? But, but he basically argues that, that uh, Futterman basically argues that Larson was sending out his runners to run as hard as they possibly could every single day. Yeah. And, and that was how he trained them. And that was Larson's big innovation. And, and he, I don't think he was doing that. He definitely, he definitely didn't do that with Mev Kaflesi. Mev Kaflesi doesn't, definitely wasn't doing that. Yeah. I think yeah. that's exactly where I got stuck. Cause I sent you a message the other day and I like put in quotes when the author says the essence of Larson's way, like, but then is described by him 
doesn't sound anything like what I know right. or I thought I knew Meb's training right. um, to be like. Right. So I, I'm waiting for that to reconcile. It, but you're it, saying it might not. I'm saying it doesn't. I'm, oh, I'm, I, I'm saying that I'm saying that he never goes back and reconciles it. I, I kept waiting for him to reconcile it in the second half of the book, and he never did. And that's the reason why, like I said, I went and I picked up. I read Meb's first book, Meb for Mortals, but I went back and read his second book. I read Twenty Six Marathons. I was like, did I just totally miss that? That Meb Kaflesi was supposedly going out and running as hard as he possibly could every day. Uh, and I was like, no, I didn't miss that. And in fact, I, I marked a few pages where he, where Meb says over and over and over and over again, you got to chill. You got to run, you know, 95% is better than, than, you know, 101%. You know, he says that several times better to be undertrained than overtrained. Like all of these things right. that, 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 that we believe, um, and that, that we practice, um, Meb Kaflesi says those explicitly and they're completely contrary to the way Matthew Futterman says that, Bob Larson trained the Hamul Toads. So, yeah, that Hamul Toads name is. <laughs> is it Toads or Frogs? No, it's Toads, isn't it? Toads. Yeah, okay, toads. It's toads. That's right. That's right. Um, so, all right. Uh, well, anyway, folks, read it and and become a part of our conversation on it. Ben um, and I will look forward to what y'all have to say about it. Um, all right. Let's say two more quick things and then we'll call it a night here. Um, one thing I want to do is I want to point everybody to an article that was in the Wall Street Journal that Eric was able to get behind the paywall and get for us. Thanks, tech guy. Um, I say you're a tech guy. You might actually just be a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Um, but it was about Keith Gill. And uh, and we don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about Keith Gill. Um, but because he and did come up or, or what he had fostered came up on the podcast last week, I thought it'd be interesting. So Keith Gill is roaring kitty or he's deep effing value on reddit um and he is one of the big forces behind the uh the uh youtube uh, or not the youtube the reddit group that that kicked off the the uh, buying frenzy around gamestop last week that that uh, michelle mentioned that she uh had kind of gotten sucked into and was enjoying watching and all that sort of thing um well little did we know when we were talking about it last week or maybe michelle did know um, that, that he, Keith Gill, uh, is actually, or was actually a distance runner, um, a 403 miler. To yeah. Yeah. A good distance runner. Yeah. Very and, good. Uh, so, so he holds the school record at Stonehill college, which is where he, uh, he went to college in the thousand meters. Um, he's run, let's see, 224.7 for the thousand for the 1k. Um, and he's run a 403.43 mile and he's a school record holder there. Um, and so, so kudos to him for that. Um, it was kind of funny in the, uh, in the, the, the article, they had quotes from his, his coaches back in the day and a quote from his moms and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he said, uh, it said there was one quote that I thought was funny. It said, Gill was a good high school runner who got better in college, but he was also trapped in a boom and bust cycle as he bat battled injuries. See what they did there? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, Very we cool. know what they did. <laughs> Um, and he had Achilles tendon, or he had uh, he had had iliotibial band syndrome for a little while. Then that got bad, and so he missed a lot of time. Then he came back from that, and then eventually got Achilles uh, issues and Achilles tendinosis, which he said ended his career. Um, but their ultimate conclusion um, was that the same focus that Gill brought to the pursuit of New England track and field glory led him into the exploration of unloved stocks. 
He became a chartered financial analyst, committed himself to stock picking and saved the passion that he once poured into running for the audience on YouTube channel. He started last summer as he worked a marketing job for Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. So um, they very much draw a direct line between his running and his redditing. Um, what do you think, Michelle? Do you think that means that, that you're going to give up this running thing since you're not feeling it now and you're going to be the next big YouTube and Reddit star who's going to be... Uh, breaking wall street <laughs> well we've already kind of nixed the youtube thing <laughs> yeah you and... the youtube thing <laughs> no. okay so side note his first ever youtube video was a running video it was he had been injured for, it was, he had been injured for months and his friends bet him that he couldn't run a foot sub 430 mile just off the couch and he said he and could he did. and he ran a 433 and 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 collapsed across the finish line and then they posted on youtube on that channel and that's the channel that now has you know millions of, of viewers and thousands of followers that uh, to which he speaks to the masses about his stock picks and that sort of thing. But anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Michelle. We we did nix the YouTube thing, but you're on Reddit. <laughs> yeah, I never really went for the GameStop thing. So. I definitely more into so. the Dogecoin at this point. So if, if if you all see somebody posting on on the the Wall Street bets Reddit thread and it's it's CPA Mama three, <laughs> you'll know it is it is Michelle from the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. So applying the same approach she takes towards running. Towards I don't even have a name picking. on Reddit. I'm not. I don't <laughs> sign in. I don't actually join or contribute to Reddit. But what can I tell you? This mm -hmm. thread is fast. So, so it is. Let us let now let a quick cautionary tale because there were a lot of people who got sucked into this and might have made a little bit of money and and um and, and might be tempted to go out and and blow it all. If you are one of the people who cashed in on the whole GameStop thing last week, let me strongly advise you. And Michelle is a CPA, so she can probably give you even better advice. But it would be official, and she'd have to charge you for it. Do go ahead and put away at least forty percent of that because you're going to have to pay it in taxes. Oh yeah, <laughs> some uh, short-term capital gain. Exactly, exactly, which is a fairly high tax rate. And so, also, so, so I give a lot of people of free advice and help, so that's not very. Yes, good. you do. You gave some free advice and help to my wife, which was highly that's valuable. That's right. And so, I did. so, so I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. And me, so, you and, and your father yeah, both gave me heck? some advice. Appreciate right. it. I had no idea. Very good. I feel like left out all of a sudden. My wife's getting advice. Eric's getting advice. So we got to stick around a little bit here and you have to stay awake and tell me some, some, some good advice here, Michelle. Um, all right. Uh, the last thing I do want to mention here, because it just has to be mentioned, um, is about a Japanese woman named Mariko Yugeta. Um, and Mariko Yugeta uh, ran the Osaka International Women's Marathon this past Sunday. They actually held it in Osaka, Japan, under some pretty strict protocols and some limited field size and all that sort of thing. 60 plus years old. She set a world record for the 60 plus women. Um, Eric, did you see this headline? So, so, Eric, Eric, so Eric didn't, no, see, I didn't it. see this. No. Eric didn't see it. Yeah, it was a lifetime best for her by more than four minutes. And she's over the age of 60, which, by the way, is fantastic, which makes me feel pretty good about being 47 by the time I run another marathon. Did um, you um, but, see what but, the age graded time well, was? Well, well, let's talk about the absolute time first. Eric, you didn't see the headline, um, except I, you might actually be on the Google Doc right now. Did, I you, am. See, did you see what her time was? 252. 252.13. That is insane. In 
insane. When it's when fast. I when I'm 60 plus, I hope I can run 352. <laughs> and, and and she's throwing it down a 252 13 as a 60 year old woman here. Um, it was like we said, it was more than a four minute PR for her. And if you look at the age graded timetables, that would put her somewhere between 203 and 208. Is, is how that absolutely grades out, which would make insane. her best female insane. marathoner in the world by six to 10 minutes, basically. Um, so yeah, we have to give a big shout out to Marika Ugeta there um, uh, as we close up the podcast this week. How could we not, how could we not talk about that? <laughs> so uh, super so cool. Michelle, does that inspire you to get out and go running on Sunday? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. <laughs> Eric, last word. <laughs> you know, Michelle keeps trumping me with those last words. I don't, right. know, I don't know how to respond after that. Um, then don't even worry about it. We'll just I'm let not Michelle not being inspired by Mariko you get it for some reason be the last word. Thanks everybody for listening to us. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here4slayrx, that's the number four, slayrx, Twitter, at official slayrx, and Instagram, here4slayrx, the number four, slayrx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.